And now, back to Answers for Elders as we honor our military veterans. Carriage is the proud sponsor of our veteran segment, hosted by former Seattle Seahawk, Dennis Boyd. Hi, this is Dennis Boyd with Answers for Elders, and today we're here in DuPont, Washington, talking to Major General John Hemphill. Major General, thank you very much. Appreciate you joining us. Well, my pleasure to be here. General, I'm going to let you uh, kind of give us a tour of your career with the with the military and how you got started. Well, I started in junior ROTC in Boise High School. Uh, my father and uncle had been there before that, and uh, that I was there uh, in junior high school. I actually hadn't entered the ROTC when World War II started, so I went on the ROTC. Uh, the uh, National Guard was federalized, so I also participated in the State Guard mm-hmm. as long as they had that there, and that was my start. But um, having that, I guess, uh, Army orientation, I so admired the paratroopers and those at D-Day that I decided to be one, and I thought the goal, the way to get there was to get into West Point. Uh, I started out uh, two quarters at Michigan State. I got to take the exam for West Point, but I didn't have an appointment. I decided, well, I found out you'd go in the Army. There was a prep school. They'd started for West Point. I would join the Army and go there, so I went home. And on 15 June, I got a letter in the mail that said that uh, another congressman in Idaho now had a vacancy, and I was offered the vacancy, so I arrived at West Point on 1 July 1947 to begin my time with the Army. So what was the, the atmosphere like at West Point? I mean, obviously, World War II had just wrapped up, and I don't know if Korea was even on the horizon yet. Well, the atmosphere back in, it started in Michigan State when I went in there as an 18-year-old a football player, and I was playing out there in the field with those uh, guys who played for the Air Force and something like that. They were 25, 26 years old, had the GI Bill. <laughs> I'm 18 years old and wondering when I'm going to, on the little scholarship I had, how I was going to survive the next month. And uh, so that really set me on that I was I was going to go in the army. Period, and on that. Mm-hmm. that. And I guess at, at West Point you were you were constantly the education and so on. As well, I, I'm very proud of my West Point class. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was we came in there was 478 of us. Now they have you know a, a thousand each one of the classes. No, we actually started out 800, 850, and we graduated 478. The time came. Uh, we had a couple of them that were uh, had already been to combat in World War II. Uh, we had a lot that had been in this, one of the services before that time, and uh, I was probably age-wise and set to right in the middle. Uh, the discipline uh, was no problem for me. I enjoyed the discipline. Uh, I think the uh, having been at Michigan State and saw the what the way they they gave classes in there. West Point, it was much better. You had an instructor for every 12 students. At uh, Michigan State, you sometimes in class you saw only a graduate student. And uh, the education system, education with us was tremendous. I had no problem listening there. In fact, I'm one of the few members that go through there that never had a punishment tour. And it's just a matter of, you know, I said, well, I I didn't get caught, but also uh, I didn't. I have no problem living a disciplined life. So from your graduation at West Point, you received your commission? Yes, I uh, chose the, I, well, 
I was an infantry in, from the beginning. That's not it. And so when time came, I chose the infantry and I chose to be a paratrooper. Mm -hmm. And so uh, my first choice of that uh, was to go to the 11th Airborne Division, Fort Campbell, Kentucky. So uh, when I graduated in 51, uh, my next stop was down at Fort Benning for the infantry school. And then I joined the 11th Airborne Division which uh, at that time the Korean War was going on. I was surprised it just didn't send me on over, but uh, that was a general reserve, and you had to serve so long. Well, that was to my advantage because I came in there, and they had all those great uh, World War II experience and Korean War experience non-commissioned officers that taught me what I needed to know. Mm -hmm. And um, I also I had a, a girlfriend at that time that I've been married to for 65 years now, and uh, so she didn't make any difference to her that I was going off to war. So two months before I left to go to the Korean War, we were married. <laughs> and I uh, went to, on the Korean War, uh, arrived over in Japan uh, at the end of September of 52, uh, left there and joined the 7th Infantry Division in October and uh, served there in the, uh, that time, being a second lieutenant platoon leader, uh, short tour with the company executive officer, and as a second lieutenant, I was made a company commander of Company I, the 31st Infantry. Now, my classmates uh, were in the same way, uh, of which I'm so proud of them, because uh, they came over, primarily in the infantry and the, and the engineers, and uh, they were, before they went, most of them had been, been company commanders of infantry companies mm -hmm. in combat. Uh, I uh, lasted there for a while. I uh, got uh, got caught up in the pork shop meat grinder, shall we say? That was a very th interesting place. I can ex tell you that to, it was a very small place, but uh, in one hour, one time, we got forwarded out rounds of artillery and, and mortar pounded on us. Mm -hmm. uh, my first Purple Heart there, and then. Uh, after getting dusted off and sent back in, uh, I got a, another Purple Heart a few months later and another little fight just away from uh, from Pork Shop and uh, spent some time in the hospital. Got in the hospital and uh, they told me, well, we'll let you, we're going to reassign you in Japan. And I asked him, when can I bring my wife over? And they said, well, for a lieutenant, it's three years. I said, that's no way. And I talked to a captain named Johnson, who was surgeon and talked to him and to let me go back to the line. So I went back and joined my unit and uh, was supposed to come home in J July of 1952, but uh, I got transferred back to the division headquarters, which changed my status. But uh, and I, so I spent three months there, but I had a real advantage to that in that I got to go and to meet the 3,500 of our prisoners who came back. And that was an interesting experience. And uh, for you that don't remember those days, uh, there's worrying about communist brainwashing, communist brainwashing. And those that came back, they were suspect, all of them. Mm. And uh, I had the pleasure of meeting them uh, as they, they would come in from, brought in by ambulance. Some of them, well, some of them uh, had to be carried in. Uh, others, uh, generally walking, et cetera. And we would, uh, my job was to meet them and say, we're glad to have you back and to offer them coffee and ice cream. And we'd sit there and enjoy things. And then they'd go on and get their physical. 
and have something to eat, and then we'd meet them afterwards, and then they would be flown by Marine Corps helicopter on down into uh, to uh, Seoul. Uh, I met uh, different people there. I remember one of the mess sergeants came in. He and I sat there, and he didn't eat any ice I ate the ice cream. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a great ice cream fiend. He, I don't know how many cups of coffee he drank. They came after him, Sergeant so-and-so, come. Oh, I haven't had a good cup of coffee in three years. Leave me alone. I want some more coffee. Well, he served later with me as a mess sergeant in the uh, regimental combat team up at Fort Devens. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a couple other people that came through that I served later with uh, were just broken, just broken. Mm -hmm. One of them was a West Pointer. Uh, uh, I'll just say this, that um, he went, served with me up at Fort Devens, and he went down to the dance course at Benning, and he went to parachute school, and he tried not to hook his parachute up as he's going out. And... Uh, he just lost, and the last time I was tracking him, he changed his name. Uh, we had a lieutenant colonel that came through that was broken like that. And then I had a guy I met coming through, and I later served the Pentagon named Tommy Trexler. Hey, Tommy, something, he, tough nut, excellent individual to work with, smart, and, you know, uh, really somebody that worked hard with you. And uh, he, I guess he escaped three times, and he said the problem out there that when you're escaping out there and you're trying to drown, you don't blend in too well with the native population. Uh, but there was like that. And I had a, in my company, I was company commander there at Fort Devens, I had a, an individual whose name was Skipper. And uh, there was one of the uh, turn 21 that didn't come back, named was Skinner. And unfortunately, in the interrogation they gave to those people coming back on the ship, you know, they had interrogators on the ships talking to them. And uh, his name got mixed up. And I know for a while uh, he was with us. We had to send him down to Boston because in federal court, you know, in court until he could clear his name, et cetera. Uh, I think he left the Army after that. Uh, so we had some of that. And what it really turned out was like in the Civil War at the – uh, federal prison camp they had down in Georgia where there's some bullies and there were some bullies and in the in the prisoner system but not many I I go back to see some others there's one individual came through as a captain uh, faking he needed a cane no his cane was hollowed out and he had what records he could keep in that cane and so uh, when I think back on him I'm sorry brings some ear to my eyes you you were the first probably set of eyes, U.S. eyes, that were sitting on as they came across the border. And uh, to see their their reaction, was it, I mean, it's got to be almost disorientating for them to come from the conditions that they were oh, in. Oh, and we saw them afterwards. Everybody was joyous and happy. And, yeah. and there was some, and some that just reluctant, standing around, et cetera. Uh, I will say this, that, uh, you know, we, I had a, we had a French lieutenant and a French sergeant come back, and there was a French uh, officer there. I think he was a lieutenant colonel. I don't recall. And uh, those two, when they came out, that colonel gave him a kiss on each cheek, uh, pinned two medals on him, and gave him a bottle of champagne. And that's the way to greet your prisoners coming back. General, can you, one of the ways that we like to wrap up these conversations is kind of the, the best of times and the most challenging of times during your career. I think the uh, the most ch challenging times of my career was uh, during the uh, pork shop hill era that I just talked about, uh, when, uh, that type of thing. That was the most challenging time. I think uh, 
the most fun time in life is to, you know, have a family. Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, I married a pretty little girl. She was uh, 20, and we got married the next month. She was 21. We had a family of five daughters. Out of that, we had 12 grandchildren. Eight of them are boys. Five are in the Army's infantry today doing what I did. Uh, three of them are majors, two sergeants. Mm-hmm. And uh, see that and say, hey, hey, that's it. And to have that young lady join me and follow me, that that lady survived that time with me. And that's 65 years later, I can say back, I love you. General, first of all, thank you for your service. And thank you for what you've done for this country. This has been a special honoring veterans presentation of Answers for Elders brought to you by Carriage. For more information about Carriage, the website is C-A-R-E-A-G-E dot com. Hey everybody, Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.